0: Genesis chapter 14, Abraham goes into battle to rescue Lot, who had been taken or captured by the army of Elam. After his victory, Abraham met this man named Melchizedek. He was the king of Salem, and he was also the priest of the Most High God. His name's very interesting. It's called the King of Righteousness. He blessed Abraham after the battle and most high God who gave him the victory of the battle in return, Abraham did something interesting as well. He gave a tithe or 10% of all the plunder that he received in this battle by this act. It's crazy. Abraham acknowledged that Melchizedek was in a high position or a high priest connected to God today. In our lives as Christians, Jesus is that same high priest and he's greater than Melchizedek. Well, we're so grateful that you've joined us online. This community is amazing. We're excited a year later how this community is still thriving. And that's why it's so important to us that we're ministering to you. If you are interested in coming live, we'd love to have you. We've got outside if you're not comfortable. And the inside has grown by double. So things are changing and we'd love to have you. But if not, just stay at home, stay in your pajamas, grab a cup of coffee. We're grateful that you're with us today. We're doing this sermon series called greater Jesus is greater than I Easter Sunday. We were out in the backyard and I was just shouting from the rooftops. Jesus is greater than I in the book of Hebrews 13 times. We see that Jesus is greater or better than all these people in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. And then it says that he is the perfection or the perfect work of God 14 times. If you're interested in the Old Testament, but it seems so hard to understand, maybe you should read the book of Hebrews. It's called the Christian Old Testament Commentary because it kind of talks about the old covenant and the laws and how it works with what Christ did on the cross and how it affects Christians. It's a really great book for Christians to try and understand what the Old Testament means. A guy named uh, Walter Martin, he was a doctor, Taught a lot of uh, a lot of theology classes. He's now gone to be with the Lord. He wrote this about the book of Hebrews. He says the book of Hebrews was written by a Hebrew to tell other Hebrews uh, to stop acting like Hebrews. So he's basically saying, hey, a Hebrew is writing to another Hebrew saying, stop acting like a Hebrew because it's impacting and destroying your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's a very important uh, point for. People that are coming into Christianity, a lot of times maybe past religions or things that you're a part of are in the way of your current faith and what you're trying to do with Christ. Sometimes we just need to let that go. And I believe that's what this book is trying to communicate that. And we'll see that at the end of our verse today. Well, the message today is about Jesus being our high priest. Now, that's a very cool statement or an idea, but what does it really mean? What does a high priest mean and what are their duties? And what does it mean that Jesus is our high priest and what are the benefits for us that he is our high priest? Those are the kind of questions that we need to uh, dive into today to understand what we're seeing in our book today. So if you got your Bible, we're going to go to uh, Hebrews chapter eight in just a few minutes, but let me answer the first question. Melchizedek was the first high priest. He was the first uh, priest as well as a king. Years later, Abraham's great grandson, Levi, was singled out by God to be the father of the priestly tribe. So the Levites were the priestly tribe. When the law was given on Mount Sinai, the Levites were identified as the servants of the tabernacle, and then the family of Aaron became the priestly family, and that's where we see Aaron as the high priest. So let's answer the question, what is a high priest? Well, the priests were responsible for interceding or mediating God to man. And they would do these things by offering many sacrifices that were required by law. Among the priest, one was selected to be the high priest. And his job was enter the most holy place or the holiest of holies uh, once a year. And he would bring a sacrifice, a blood, blood sacrifice, and put it on the Ark of the Covenant. That, that holiday today we call is Yom Kippur. It's uh, usually in October. The priests and the high priests would deal with these daily and yearly sacrifices, and these were for the sins of the people, but they were only temporary covering the people. They weren't really a permanent fixture. The only way that you can deal with sin permanently is through the Messiah, who would take away the sins of the world. That is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus has many names. I'm sure you know a few of them the Messiah, Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, my wife's favorite, friend of sinners, Redeemer, uh, healer he has so many names and one of the names that we're going to explore today is we've talked about it he's the high priest so we need to understand what's the benefits of him and his high priest now today we're going to open up hebrews chapter 8 and we're going to read and it's kind of technical but it's not too much for us if you just follow through the text it'll be a good place for us to understand jesus as the high priest and in my and my, t- and my uh, beginning it says christ our high priest so here's what it says open up your bibles Uh, Hebrews 8, verse 1. Here is the main point. So here's the interesting thing about the high priest. Here is the main point. This all starts in chapter 4. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten all talk about Jesus as our high priest. There's a lot of ink, Jeremy would say, about this concept, and it's something that we need to understand. And so here comes the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. We've heard that before, and we're going to hear it again. It says in verse two, there he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord, not by human hands. Let's just spend a few minutes praying and asking God to speak. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that the word of God is to grow us. It's for for us to show what is good and right in our life and to show us what is wrong and evil. It's there to refine us and to reprove us and to make us right with God. So as we open up the text today, make sure you realize this is to change us and grow us and make us whole. Father, we love you and we are so grateful for your words. We ask that you do a great work within us. Use this time as we are uh, communing with each other so that we can glorify you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your words. Speak to us in Hebrews chapter eight. In the name above all names, Jesus Christ. So as we dig in today, this first point says the main point is Jesus is our high priest and that he is on the throne, the majestic throne at the right hand of God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about God having a right hand man. His name is Jesus. Really what it means when he is at the right side of God, it's the finished work of God. He's done a bunch of work and now he's at the right hand of God. Jesus is not just seated. He's placed into a place of glory. It's called the enthronement enthronement. enthronement he's at this place that's to be glorified and it's the finished work of god it's a really cool place to understand and one day we will inherit that same blessing to be at the right hand of god verse 2 talks about this tabernacle that is made uh, not by human hands but made by the lord's hands and it's a true place of worship It's interesting that they're using the word tabernacle here and not the great uh, temple of Solomon or Herod's temple, the second temple made after the first one was destroyed. they're actually they're actually talking about this place, the tent of meetings or this tabernacle, the place where Moses would go in and God would minister to him and he would come out with this glowing face. They're using this concept of tabernacle, this place that was a true worship place of God. And it was built by the Lord and not by human hands. It's it's a really cool place. The book of Hebrews shows us in this idea that Jesus is our high priest and he is greater than all other kings, all other prophets and any other priest that's come in the Bible. And that's not in the Bible. The high priest then was in charge, if you saw in the the beginning, he's in charge of the laws and the rules of the first covenant that was given on Mount Sinai. That's kind of his job was to make sure that that was administered. If you've looked in Leviticus, if you've looked in Numbers and if you've read in Exodus, the high priest was there to, if you had a skin disease or if you hurt someone, they were there to administer the first covenant. That brings us to verse 3. Here's what it says. Since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifice, our high priest, that'd be Jesus, must uh, make an offering too. And he did. Verse 4 says, if we... If, we were he, if he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since he, we, there already is a priest who would offer gifts required by law. We'll get back to that second part because it's a little bit interesting, maybe confusing. But verse 3 really tells us something critical. One of the great purposes of Jesus coming to this place, coming to earth, uh, taking his lowly position as a human was to be a sacrifice. One of the things that we did on Good Friday, and if you missed it, I challenge you to go look because we talked about three critical points of why Jesus went to the cross. Number one was that he was a sacrifice. He was a sacrifice. And the second thing is that he redeems us. That blood on the cross, when Jesus died and shed his blood on the cross, it was like placing blood on the altar uh, and the Ark of the Covenant. And finally, it was to reconcile us. Do you realize that we need to be reconciled from God? Once we were banished from the garden, sin had crept in, we hadn't been reconciled by God. And so Jesus came, sacrificed, redeemed, and reconciled. And I challenge you to go look at that Good Friday service because it's really educational and powerful. This work is the work of the high priest. He is to make an offering and make this atonement. And Jesus did it to perfection. That's the beauty of who Jesus is. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 says, verse 12. It says, but our high priest, Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for our sins. Good for all time. It was a perfect sacrifice and it's a continual sacrifice. No other sacrifice is needed. And then it says, and then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand because he completed this finished work, this enthronement, this place of glory. Now, let's talk about that weird verse in verse four where it says, if he were here on earth, that'd be Jesus. He wouldn't even be a priest since there's already a priest who could offer the required sacrifices or the required gifts from from the law. This is what we call rabbinical logic. Realize this. The book of Hebrews was written by a Hebrew to other Hebrews, telling them to stop being a Hebrew. So they're using rabbinical logic. Judaism has different hermeneutics than Christian hermeneutics. Now, I know that's a big word. That's a theological word. But hermeneutics is pretty simple. It's interpreting and understanding the meaning of the biblical text. Hermeneutics, the purpose of hermeneutics is to bridge the gap from someone like myself or you and the, the bridge the gap between the biblical authors. So in essence, Jewish rabbis, would interpret their their text different than Christian pastors. Or Jewish people would look at the Bible different than Christian people would. It's called rabbinical logic. And here's what they're saying. Let me just give it to you in plain English. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. That's his lineage. You know, he's a lion from the tribe of Judah. Priests, though, came from the tribe of Levi. And so what they're saying here, because he didn't come from the tribe of Levi... He wouldn't be the actual high priest while he was on earth. So that's rabbinical logic. Jesus wouldn't be the high priest. They would understand it completely. We don't necessarily understand it in the way that we see it. But Hebrews is trying to give us that understanding. Let's continue on verse 5. They served in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. This is where we start to see why Judaism was getting in the way with following Jesus. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I have shown you here on the mountain. Now, I'll be honest. I never really liked that part in the Bible. I think it's in Exodus 25, 26 and 27. Uh, I I thought it's like, God, why is there so much? It's this long, it's this, and there's just so much detail and so much measuring, and there's so much repetitiveness. But recently, I've gone through uh, Exodus twice now in the last hundred days or so, and in my recent devotions, I kind of realized that I saw the exact detail of God. God is detailed. God is so meticulous and so detailed and he's such a great planner. And for me, uh, this kind of big mind, big thinker guy, I'm not a real detailed guy. So that stuff annoys me. But people that love detail, they look at this and go, man, he is meticulous. And the beauty of it is he doesn't give man any room for their opinions, their preferences or their ideas because those are useless. He gives us detail and he shows us how precise he is. And really, this is just a copy or a shadow of what's in heaven. The heaven's tabernacle, and there's some question of whether there is one or if it's just God, but I'm sure that the tabernacle in heaven is not a couple of skins or tents and some poles. I'm sure it's just a replica of what it might look like, and it's dealt with by the way that God wants to look at it. The first few verses here is a telling argument in why the new covenant, is better than the first covenant. Why Jesus is greater than that first covenant that was given. Verse six kind of explains it. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior uh, to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates a far better covenant with God based on better promises. In Christ as our high priest, he's a better mediator. He's going to give us a better covenant. And in that covenant, we're going to receive better promises or greater promises because of who Jesus is. So the idea here is this, Jesus is greater than I, and he's greater than all others, past, present, and future. There's no one in history that's ever matched to this person and who he is and what he has done. Not only did he come and teach us and and show us how to live, but he died and rose again like no one else. It's interesting how people try and put him on lists. And the other day I saw that they put another uh, theologian uh, above Jesus as one of the greatest people in the world. And I'm like, that can't be true because that person did not raise from the dead and do anything nearly what Jesus did. Verse 6 tells us that Moses was a mediator. Last week, Justin did a great job explaining Moses and, and the amazing things that he did. And Moses, there might be no greater person that had a relationship with God like Moses. But Moses was this go-between between man and God. And, and even him, Jesus is greater than the great Moses. In the next few verses, we're going to talk about this new covenant, Jeremiah 31. And this was blowing the mind of the Jewish people. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. We'll see that in verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. We're going to read that. It was really mind-blowing because here's what it was saying. To the Jewish people, they were saying this first thing that we got from Moses, the laws on the mountain of Sinai, is now going to be squashed and there's going to be a new covenant. Let me give you an example. If we Christians live by the New Testament, we call ourselves New Testament Christians because it's a different new covenant that God has given us. What happens if all of a sudden they were told, no, there's a third Testament coming? That would be mind-blowing. It's like, what? Everything that we've been studying and believing for 2,000 years is now being kind of changed or added to the Third Testament. That's what was happening to the Jewish people. Their faith and what they believed and what Moses brought and Abraham brought and all the kings and all the prophets brought were now bringing into ushering in a new covenant through a new Messiah. Jesus was that promised Messiah and he was going to bring a new covenant with better promises and he was going to do that to change the world once and for all. This is an Old Testament picture giving us a New Testament truth that we know and rely on today. Here's what verse 7 says. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would be no need for a second covenant to replace it. The Hebrews author here, and it's probably not Paul, and I'll talk about that at the end. He's pretty harsh. And these words are pretty strong. It's like, if there, there wasn't a problem with the first one, then there wouldn't be a reason for the second one. That being true, let's talk about this first covenant. God didn't find fault in this covenant. He finds fault in human beings. We are the problem. It wasn't the covenant. The, the, the law was holy and still is, and the commands are holy and still are. Listen, the Old Testament is used for understanding theology and God's character and it's a way to live our life because there's so many good things. The Ten Commandments are still to be used because it's a great way to interact with society. That's what it was used for. The law was holy. The commands were holy. They were just and good. We aren't. People aren't holy. People aren't good. We have a sin nature. This new covenant helps us because it brings God's grace and by faith we are saved through grace of Jesus the grace of Jesus Christ and that's what we see in the next few verses verses 8 through 13 we kind of go through uh Hebrews quoting Jeremiah 31 uh verse 31 to 34 and this is the only place in the uh, the Old Testament that talks about this new covenant So Hebrew, Hebrew eight is going back to an old Testament scripture to help the Hebrew understand the Hebrew thing is getting in your way. I hope that makes sense. But here's what verse eight says. When God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. So some interesting things. He says, when, when the people have made mistakes, when the, the first covenant wasn't fulfilled i had to make a new covenant and there's a day coming there's going to be a messiah that's going to change all of this and i'm going to make this new covenant and then he gives this interesting little thing about israel and judah because they were separated at one point solomon's son rehoboam and jeroboam they were not they weren't both sons but one was his son another one was just an activist and they separated judah and, and israel Ten tribes went into the northern part of Israel and then the southern part, uh, there was three tribes and they were separated. And here it says they're going to come together by God's grace. Both are going to come together. Verse nine says this covenant will be like uh, will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. It's not going to be like the Old Testament covenant that they see in the times of of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and David. Here's what he says. I made, uh, when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, they didn't remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. This shows the need for God's grace. The Old Testament was used to show the character of God and how to live our lives and the 10 commandments and the laws that were given are to show us that we are sin. And it's really not to to bring us to a place of, of relationship with God. We need God's grace. Verse 10 is probably my favorite verse because it talks about a promise of internal change. I don't know about you, but the inside of me needs a lot of work and a lot of change. The outside could also use some change, especially as as I'm getting older. But really for me to be right with God, it needs some internal change. Here's what verse 10 says. But this covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord, I will put their laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Now, this isn't the first time this has been said. I will be their God and they will be my people. We've heard this through the new testament. I don't know if you caught that, but in the middle of the verse it says I will put my their laws on their minds and write them on their hearts. That's kind of dyslexic because it's actually written in a couple of different places with the heart's first and the mind is second, but the guy the author probably was dyslexic like me and just switched them. But here we see these same words in the in the first covenant, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 6, Deuteronomy eleven eighteen 18, Psalms 37, 31, Exodus 13, 9, Exodus 13, 16, and so on. A lot of Old Testament verses had this same covenant written on their minds and hearts. But this was going to be a different one. The word heart here in the Greek means mind will and emotions it's talking about the whole being but it's more the internal spiritual being the soul mind and everything within us the heart of man is what they're really talking about and 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 when it talks about it's the heart of man not the acts performed and that was the difference from the old testament versus the new testament it's not the acts that are performed or the sacrifices that we can bring but it's the heart of man the law was external god wrote it on tablets and it was this external one this new covenant was going to come by the grace of god and it was going to come to changes from the inside that's really cool this, uh, the next place in verse 11 and 12 is this promise for forgiveness, forgiveness for all. Now, I love this promise and I love talking about forgiveness. Every time we talk about forgiveness at church, you can go back and look and we kind of have these analytics. It shows every time we talk about forgiveness, the last time we talked about it, that, that um, message has been viewed five times more than any of the other messages in the following year. That means forgiveness needs to be taught about. Here is a promise for forgiveness. Here's what it says, verse 11. And they will not need to teach their teachers, nor will they need to teach their relatives, teach their neighbors, sorry, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying you, you should know the Lord from For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. This is rabbinic logic here. We'll talk about that in a second. Verse 12 says, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never remember their sins. This really doesn't make sense because the the, the Jewish tradition was always about teaching children's children and all of that. God is now saying that God is within all of us. And all we need to do is activate uh, the forgiveness of sins and, and experience the grace of God and have this internal change and we will be right with God. And he is gonna forgive the wickedness and the sins and not remember them. Now, when it says not remember, realize that God knows all. He is actually just gonna place Him in what we call this place of the sea of forgetfulness. He knows what you did, but he doesn't see you that way because you believe in Jesus Christ. So if you don't know him, you need him. Because he he gives you that relationship with God that is edifying. In the Old Testament or in the first covenant, there was no forgiveness in the law. It really wasn't the purpose of the law. The law wasn't meant to bring forgiveness. The law was to acknowledge sin. The new covenant is the purpose. It was to bring us the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins. That's the beauty of the two. The old covenant brought us the remembrance of sins. When you had sin in your life, once a, once a year, you would bring an offering to Jerusalem, but you would go to your synagogue and bring daily offerings of, uh, you know, these different types of offerings. But they were just the remembrance of sins. They weren't the remission or forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is interesting. It's my relationship to God. It's, and, 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 and what I mean by that, it's not who I am. But who Jesus is, it's not based on what I've done, but it's based on what Jesus did and can do inside of us. That's the beauty of forgiveness. It's not about me. It's about him because Jesus is greater than I. Verse 13 talks about the promise of eternal blessings, not internal blessings. It says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he's made the first one obsolete and it's now out of date and will soon disappear. Now, I haven't said anything about this this whole time, but most people think the apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but really this verse right here, and there's a few other verses in Hebrews shows us Paul probably wasn't the author because truthfully, if you know Paul's work, he actually loved the law. He thought the law was good and it was to, to, to help us understand God and to help us know about sin and live our lives to the, to the betterment of the, uh, of society. The Ten Commandments show us how to live uh, 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 in this world, not coveting our neighbor, not being adulterous, not murdering. It's really a great way to live our life. Is it possible? It's pretty hard to do, but it is a great way of life. And Paul loved the law. Here, the author here basically is saying this, this stuff, the law, it's obsolete. It's out of date and it's soon disappearing. And here's why he's telling the Hebrews they're having a problem, truly trusting Jesus. And they're falling back on their Old Testament Jewish mindset. And it's getting in the way. It's just like someone that comes into Christianity and they have a background and they're not letting it go. They're holding on to the past. They need to let that go and let this new being, this new creation be something new so that God can use you in a very real and powerful way. This author here, uh, this, this was written in 65 AD, I think is when they said this was written. And the truth is, in five years, this was kind of foreshadowing that the, um, that the temple was going to be destroyed in 70 AD. And so they were kind of saying this is obsolete, but they didn't even realize that in five years there was going to be no more Jewish sacrifices because it was going to be obsolete. So very interesting text here, and it shows us Paul probably didn't write this. At the beginning, we talked about this guy named Melchizedek and in chapter seven, uh, the chapter before it talks about Jesus is like Melchizedek and the reason why he is the king of righteousness. He is a king, but he is also high priest. One of his great names is the king of all and he is like it, but he is greater than this Melchizedek Melchizedek foreshadowed the Messiah to come. He was foreshadowing this time where the Messiah was going to come and Jesus is going to be this Messiah. Melchizedek was before the law. uh, Moses wasn't even in the Bible in Genesis 14. It was about Abraham. And Melchizedek foreshadowed God's complete plan. You were going to have a king and a high priest really ministering this new covenant. Here's what it says in Hebrews 7, 7, verse 16 to 20. It says, Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirements belonging to the tribe of Judah. We saw that earlier and we talked about that, but by the power of life that cannot be destroyed. Jesus was anointed the high priest, not because he was from the, uh, the tribe of Levi, but he was anointed by God because of what he had done and how he brought himself as an offering, and his blood redeems us, and he now reconciles us to God. Verse 17 says, and the psalmist points out that when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He's quoting Psalm 110 verse four. He's saying, you are in the same line of Melchizedek. And this guy is an interesting guy. That's a whole nother series or a whole other topic we can dig into. Verse 18, to close it up on this, th- this topic of Melchizedek says, yes, the old requirements about priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. The way that they used to do it was weak and useless. This author in Hebrews is really trying to destroy the mindset of Judaism in the hearts of the Hebrew believers. But now we have confidence in a better hope which, through which we will draw near to God. There's something greater that draws us near to God and that first covenant isn't doing us any good. We need to let it go and let God get closer to us through this new covenant. So what? What does it mean, high priest? What do we do with this? It's all good Christian fodder or growing us as Christians. But what do we do? What is the application of him being a high priest? And what does this message do for us as we kind of get into this world this week? Well, there is application. And really, I want to challenge you like Dustin did. This message for me stays alive a lot longer when I'm in a community group. My community group was meeting on Thursdays and I would go through the message and even if I did it, it would still be a topic in my head because we would discuss it and that's one of the purposes of community group. And here's some application that you can have during the week. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16 it says Christ is our high priest but here's the application it says so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to what we believe From chapter 4 of Hebrews all the way through chapter 10, he's talking about Christ being our high priest. A lot of ink written about what this means. But if Jesus, the son of God, died for our sins, which he did, and shed his blood for our sins, which he did, he restores us and reconciles us back to God, which he did. Hold firmly to that belief. Verse 15 says, this high priest of ours understands our weakness. I love that. How many times this week have you been weak? He understands our weakness. Why? For he faced all the same testings we, we do, yet he didn't sin. God lowered himself as a human being. He lowered himself less than an angel and became a human being for you and I so that he could have the same testings and trials and temptations, yet he didn't sin. And he shows us it's possible to live a a pretty good sin-free life on this earth. For humans, it's impossible With, with God, all things are possible. So here's this last part, verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Now that we have a high priest who's offered this sacrifice and, and has redeemed us and has restored us and reconciled us to God, we can run to the throne. We don't need a priest to get in our way. We don't need to have anybody make any sacrifices because Christ has done it once and for all. Now we can boldly go. You don't need me to connect to God. You can go to God right now. And communicate to him because you can boldly come to the throne of God. The veil has been pushed aside. It's been torn. And now we have direct access to God. And then it says in the last verse, it says, Then we will receive his mercy and we will find his grace to help us when we need it the most. Isn't that the beautiful thing about God? I've needed his grace and mercy many times this week. And now because we know who he is as high priest, we can boldly come to the throne of God. Because of what he's done as our high priest. And now we can receive that grace and mercy. When we need it the most. This new covenant. Changes you and I. From the inside out. It's the promise of grace. It's the promise of eternal change. It's the promise of forgiving our sins. And all that we have done. And it's a promise of eternal blessings. Do you want that? I know I do. And I've got the the salvation. But my salvation grows and now with the community of God, I can continue to grow. And I hope you do as well. Let's just bow our heads wherever you're at and let's pray. And let's close today. And if there's someone out there that's being tugged by the spirit of God, I challenge you. Invite God into your heart. Right now is the time. You can come boldly to the the throne of God, the enthronement of God through Jesus Christ. And you will be connected to him like you've never been connected before. Father, we love you and we are so grateful for these words and thank you for your son and the beauty of him being our high priest. Thank you for teaching us and growing us today. And I ask today, Lord, that you shower us your blessing. Thank you for forgiveness. Help us with this eternal change and and, and give us more and more grace. We wanna see salvation and revelation and transformation for all of us that are watching online. Lord, if there's someone watching that wants to have an eternal blessing, a right relationship with God, if that's you right now, say a simple prayer by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you too will be saved and become a child of God. The prayer goes like this. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died upon the cross for me, Lord. And you rose again three days later so that I can be in heaven with you for eternity. And I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the high priest of Jesus Christ being there for me. I pray, Holy Spirit, take over my life, my mind, my will, my soul, and my heart so that I can follow you all the days of my life. We love you, Lord, and we praise you for your king. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen.